Hello, my name is Donna Newman and I am a partner in the Finance Litigation Group at Stevenson Harwood. Welcome to the first in our autumn 2021 series of four short podcasts in which we take a bite-sized look at some key topics that have emerged from court or regulatory decisions over the last year. In this episode, Harriet Campbell, a senior development lawyer in our finance litigation team, will look at the Quince Care duty and highlight the key issues for financial institutions. Hello, my name is Harriet Campbell and I'm a senior knowledge development lawyer in the finance litigation team at Stevenson Harwood. In this podcast, I will be looking at the Quince Care duty and highlighting some of the key issues for financial institutions. The podcast is split into three sections. First, looking at what is the Quince Care duty. Secondly, I will be examining key points arising from recent case law. And finally, looking at the practical steps that banks can take to ensure they comply. So what is the Quince Care duty? Well, it's perhaps best defined as the duty placed on financial institutions not to follow their customers' instructions when they're on notice that following those instructions might actually facilitate a fraud on their customer. Although the Quince Care duty was first established in a 1992 case, it wasn't until 2019 that a bank was first held liable for breach. And since then, the courts have really struggled to apply it in the modern banking context. The Quince Care duty was originally framed as a negative duty, so a duty to refrain from following a customer's instructions. However, the Court of Appeal in the 2019 case of Federal Republic of Nigeria and J.P. Morgan Chase found that the Quince Care duty will require something more from a bank than simply deciding not to comply with a payment instruction. Quite what that something more is, however, as I shall explore, is an elusive concept. So there have been four significant cases arising in recent years relating to the Quince Care duty, which shed some light on its parameters. The first case I will look at is the Federal Republic of Nigeria and J.P. Morgan Chase. In this case, the court considered the scope of the action which a bank should take when on notice of a possible fraud. Here, the bank had complied with payment instructions made by authorised signatories. However, the Republic of Nigeria later alleged that the bank, which had submitted suspicious activity reports, should have realised that it could not trust the senior Nigerian officials from whom it took instructions and should not have made the payments it was instructed to make. Precisely what the bank should have done instead of following its customers' instructions was deemed to be a matter for the trial judge, which trial is currently expected to be later this year or next. The current position, therefore, is that there remains a distinct lack of clarity surrounding what a bank's so-called duty of inquiry means in practical terms and how this ought to be reconciled with a bank's duty to follow its customers' instructions. The second case to consider the duty was the Supreme Court's judgment in Singularis Holdings and Dewa Capital Markets, which was handed down just days after the judgment in Nigeria. This case was brought by the liquidator of Singularis. Singularis's sole shareholder and a director, Mr. Alcinea, had instructed Dewa to transfer some 200 million in US dollars to accounts in the names of other group companies. At first instance, Dewa was held to have breached the Quince Care duty, as this was a particularly obvious fraud, and it didn't appeal that finding. Instead, it appealed on the basis that Singularis was effectively a one-man company controlled by Mr. Alcinea and that the claim should therefore fail for illegality, lack of causation or deceit. In dismissing Dewa's appeal, 
The Supreme Court, again, did not address the steps that Daewa ought to have taken to comply with its duty because the breach was such an obvious one. However, it made it clear that the Quinsca duty is not an easily escapable one, observing that if the appellant's argument had been accepted, there would in reality be no Quinsca duty of care or its breach would cease to have consequences, something the court described as being a retrograde step. So the question of the practical steps that a bank should take when on notice that following its customers' instructions might facilitate a fraud on that customer was yet again not answered in this judgment. The third case I'm going to look at is Philip and Barclays Bank. And this is really one area where the scope of the Quince Care duty has become clearer. In this case, the High Court held that financial institutions do not owe a Quince Care duty when an individual customer makes a payment instruction as a result of an authorised push payment or APP fraud. The duty is instead limited to situations where payment instructions are not properly authorised. So, for example, where they're made by a customer's agent in an attempt to misappropriate funds. Although the court's decision was in the specific context of APP fraud, it is useful for its wider discussion of the scope of the Quince Care duty. The court emphasised that the duty is subordinate to a bank's primary duty to act on its customers' instructions. And it also made clear that the standard to which a bank will be held is that of an ordinary prudent banker based on market practice at the relevant time. Further, the court held that although in Singularis it was confirmed that even a sole shareholder can steal from a company for whom they are a signatory, an individual cannot steal from themselves. The last case relating to the duty, which I will mention, is Stanford International Bank and HSBC Bank. And this was another case brought by liquidators, in this case of Stanford, against HSBC for breach of the Quince Care duty and dishonest assistance. The payments in this case were affected by HSBC back in 2008, when it was alleged that HSBC knew or should have known that Mr Stanford was using his company to operate a massive Ponzi scheme. Stanford went into insolvent liquidation shortly afterwards. And of the 118 million paid out by HSBC, all but some 2 million were payments to genuine creditors. So the judgment here turned on whether or not any loss had been sustained. Overturning the decision of the lower court, the Court of Appeal held that the fact that the payments reduced the dividend to creditors was not a loss attributable to breach of the Quinsco duty because HSBC owed that duty to the company, its client, not to its creditors. This contrasted with the position of Stanford's directors, who of course did owe a duty to their creditors during that period. Because it found that there had been no loss, once again the Court of Appeal was not required to consider any further whether or not there had been a breach of the Quince duty, confirming only that the duty is not owed to creditors. However, the Supreme Court has recently granted permission to appeal this decision, and it therefore remains to be seen whether there will be any further modification of the duty as it applies to insolvent companies. So as can be seen from this summary of recent case law, the current scope of the Quince duty is somewhat nebulous. Because of this, it's key from a practical perspective that financial institutions ensure that whenever a red flag is raised in relation to a customer's instructions, the process by which those instructions are dealt with is properly documented and a fully reasoned decision is taken. At the same time, banks need to bear in mind 
that the disclosure of these kinds of documents is also a developing area in case law. In IFT, SAL, Offshore and Barclays Bank, the court granted permission for information obtained in a Norwich Pharmacal application to be used potentially to bring proceedings against Barclays Bank itself, who had provided the information in its capacity as a neutral third party. Further, in the latest decision in the Nigeria case, the court ordered JP Morgan Chase to disclose documents from its compliance and AML teams, which Nigeria argued were necessary to establish whether or not it had breached its duty to take reasonable care in executing payment instructions. In particular, Nigeria requested and was granted disclosure of documents relating to alleged concerns held by the US compliance team. In this case, the court appeared willing to accept that a broad scope of disclosure is required from banks in Quinscare cases, and also that the seniority of custodians in a disclosure exercise is a relevant consideration. Documentation of this nature is therefore likely to be a key battleground in evidencing whether or not the duty has been breached. In conclusion, we look forward to receiving further clarification on the scope of the Quinscare duty when judgment is given after trial in the Nigeria case, and yet further clarity on its scope as it applies to insolvent companies if we receive judgment from the Supreme Court in the Stanford case. Mm-hmm.